we can show you how And when will you be there? You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong To the very marble marching society March along, march along, march along To the song of the very marble marching society Hello, and welcome to the first installment of A Marvelous Anniversary. I'm one of your hosts, The Irredeemable Shag, and with me for this Marvel team-up is the astonishing Rob Kelly. Today, we're going to kick off our week-long celebration honoring three years of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Yeah, February marks three years since we started on this crazy journey, and we're really looking forward to many more years. What do you think, Rob? Excelsior! <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. That's that. how we're supposed to end things, I'm pretty sure. That's it. Isn't that how, how yeah. Stan went? Oh, well. So, well, folks, we thought, what better way to celebrate this anniversary than by honoring the earliest fire and water duo? Because, you know, Marvel Comics number 1 was first published in 1939. Oh, my gosh. It is 80 years old this year. So we're saluting this landmark issue, which featured the introduction of the Human Torch. Get it? Fire. And Namor the Submariner. Get it? Water. Clever. See how that works? I got it. <laughs> so since we're celebrating the birthday of the whole network, we're bringing along the whole gang. The celebration is going to last seven days, and each day with a brand new episode by various members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, uh, each one focusing on one of the stories of Marvel Comics number one. Pretty cool. Yeah, this is like one of those uh, podcast. This is one of those uh, crossovers that we have to buy all the tie-in issues. Exactly, everyone loves those. Well, they're they're going to be chromium enhanced, and we're going to raise the <laughs> price. So perfect. <laughs> the one with Max's poly bag. Right. Well, you know what it is. Is we've got a we've got a, the stockholders want to see a good profit in quarter one, so we got to make sure to really you know uh, fill the coffers. So anyway, today Rob and I are going to be covering the lead story, simply called "The Human Torch" by Carl Burgos. I guess is how you say that. I'm not really entirely sure. So if you're not familiar with the original Human Torch, here, here's just kind of the big picture. Uh, Human Torch, uh, who later on went by the name Jim Hammond, was actually an android created by a scientist, Phineas Horton. Uh, and, this, and this android possessed the abilities to surround himself with fire and control flames. And in his earliest appearance, that, which we're going to be covering today, he was really portrayed as like a science fiction mon uh, monstrosity, really. But in later ventures, he becomes a hero and adopted a secret identity as a police officer for the New York City Police Department. And he had a fiery side kick named Toro, because of course, you know, the, the, the 40s. Uh, and during the 1940s, he was also a, um, a member of the All Winners Squad and the Invaders, alongside Namor, Captain America, and others. Although some of that was a recon. So a retcon, I should say. So, Rob, now, are you, before we did this crossover, were you familiar with Marvel? I mean, well, where had you read Marvel Comics number one? Let's put it that way. No, I think I've read bits and pieces of it over the years when it's been, I think, reprinted here and there or something like that. But I've never read the whole comic from beginning to end. Uh, same here. You know, obviously I was aware of it. You know, how could you not be? Everyone's heard about it. Uh, and I actually received as a gift 30 years ago, oh my gosh, the uh, the – the hardcover uh, reprint of Marvel Comics number one. It was sell Marvel published it to celebrate the 50th anniversary, or actually, I guess it came out a year after the 50th anniversary. Either way, uh, I've had it on my shelf for 30 years and never got around to reading it till now. As crazy as that is. <laughs> so, and we'll talk a little bit about Golden Age comics later, which kind of is part of the reason I didn't read it before now. So, uh, what about your experiences with the original Human Torch before this? Uh, very limited. I read The Invaders oh, okay. as a kid, sure. uh, so I remember that, and I do remember uh, there was a brief moment when the Human Torch had his own comic book in the early 70s. I think it ran for like eight issues or something, or not even hmm. that. And uh, yeah, I remember, and I found back issues of it at the first store I ever shopped at, and I think the cover to number one, 
I should look that up, but it's the cover, and it's got Johnny Storm Human Torch fighting the old Human Torch. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, remember, that was exciting. And then, of course, I loved the Marvels yeah. that Al Cross and Kurt Busiek did, and that featured all kinds of cool 40s stuff. So I was you know, relatively familiar with the, the concept. And, of course, he appeared in back issues of Avengers and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. So for me, I... I... I didn't get deep into him, but I brushed against him in the Avengers West Coast because, you know, Byrne, John Byrne did a lot of stuff with him, uh, with the human, this version of Human Torch in Avengers West Coast. Then John Byrne also brought him into his Namor series, which I read religiously, love that series. And then there's this connection where they, they kind of brought the Golden Age heroes, a modern version of them, into the modern era, I guess you could say. Either way. Uh, and it was all connected with Thunderbolts and Citizen V and all that stuff. So I read, was reading those. And then I just you bump into them a lot of different little places. Like you mentioned Marvels and stuff like that. So I, I had experience with them, but not a lot. So this was really the first time I read a really Human Torch-focused story. Why don't we get into the recap? Um, so it, 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 it's only 16 pages. And you know, this is Golden Age art. So you're dealing with you know 12 panels per page. So I mean, it's packed full. What are you laughing at? It may be only 16 pages, but it is 4 billion words. <laughs> that is fair to say. That is fair to say. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to get that down to about 300 words. So let's give this a shot. <laughs> um, Professor Horton has created a true marvel. Get it? Marvel? You like how I worked that in? Anyway, he's created this true Marvel, an android. However, there is a problem. As uh, Professor Horton explains to members of the press, uh, he keeps this android, which he calls the Human Torch, in an airtight glass case. Because when the android is exposed to, exposed to air, it's engulfed in uncontrollable flames. Uh, even the scientists' guild, which is a thing apparently, uh, can't control these intense flames. So the press and the scientists are demanding that the android be destroyed, and I quote, before some madman can grasp its principles and hurl it against our civilization. So uh, they come to a compromise. Uh, the human torch is sealed within a steel tube, which is then sealed in a block of concrete in Professor Horton's backyard. And Horton vows to find the secret to controlling the flames. However, sometime later, there's an explosion outside of Horton's bedroom window, and he finds the torch is gone. It's revealed that there was a slow oxygen leak in the steel tube, which I guess got through the concrete as well. That's impressive. Uh, anyway, the torch runs through the streets of the city, confused as to why everyone, everything he touches is catching on fire. Now, he comes across some racketeers who get control of the Human Torch, and they use his abilities to blackmail businesses into paying protection money. And the Torch escapes the hoods, discovering that his flames make him lighter than air. Torch returns to confront the gangsters who used him, taking on the bad guys in a huge confrontation. And, and really, uh, the, the gangster plot is, is like the bulk of the whole story. It's like nine out of the 16 pages, but I'm just keeping it short here. Uh, circumstances expose the human torch to tanks of nitrogen gas, which uh, have granted him control of his flame powers and given him the ability to throw fireballs. The, at the end, the police release the human torch into the custody of Professor Horton. Unfortunately, Horton also dreams of using the human torch's abilities to get rich. The torch realizes that humans will only continue to use him for their selfish purposes and escapes through the ceiling to be free. And that's the short version of the story. What do you think of it, buddy? I, uh, I, I, know. <laughs> I Carl, 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 Carl Burgos really defeated me on this one because this was just so dense okay. that I found it just physically hard to read. I read it. I, I have some scans of it, and then I was able to even zoom in on some of the panels. Mm -hmm. And just it's just so wordy and so. I mean, there's pages here that have like 15 panels. Uh, I I almost wonder it's like did Burgos like have like this forty page story lying <laughs> around and then they were like get it done in sixteen or was this his style I like 
the visualization of the Human Torch. I like that he has no features. Mm-hmm. He's just this flame creature, which gives it a, a more monstrous kind of cast. Yeah. And I, I, I also like the tragedy of it because he is very much like a Frankenstein where the, the Horton has created this creature and he has no plans on how to like – bestow it any humanity or control like he's just this rampaging ball of flame because he can't control it the minute he hits air he becomes so it, i mean he's an android he doesn't feel pain necessarily but there's something very tragic about it because he just he's so destructive accidentally well and, and to, to take that a step further they treat him like an object i mean for the first for right, the first three right, and a half yeah. pages he's sealed in this airless tube no one even talks to him they just talk about destroying him so he is just a thing, which is a, a good parallel again to the Frankenstein thing. So yeah, um, now you talk about the panels. I read this two different ways. I read it in the hardcover here. I also read it on Marvel Digital Unlimited, where you know me, I love my panel, but a panel vision, uh, version. So I'm, I'm reading like each one of these twelve panels was you know full size on my tablet, and that's a meal, man. Each panel's a meal. In this <sighs> you know I, that's the way I read it first, and I got done. I'm like, was that like a forty-six page story or something? Yeah. Because oh. going panel by panel. <laughs> You know, with that many panels, it took forever for me to read the story. But it really did give me the appreciation of some of the art. You, you've already mentioned the fire. I think the fire effects are really nice. I like some of the coloring when the flames, like when he causes other things to catch on fire. There's good uses of purples and oranges and some scratchy lines to show giant, you know, conflagrations, which are really nice. I, so I enjoyed all of that. Um, there's some other stuff in the stories too, like the gangsters. Wow. These guys, they have got a setup. Not only do they have an awesome swimming pool, which has this apparent glass cover on it, which then they can somehow vacate the air out of that too. I, I didn't know many people had that sort of setup in their pools, but, uh, they've got diving suits. They've got underground labs and gas bombs and nitro tanks. This is a very impressive racketeer. I, I gotta say, I don't know why he needed a human torch to help him out. Uh, also, and a lot of violence in this thing. The Human Torch straight up murders the bad guys, <laughs> which, you know, kind of makes a, I don't know, back then probably made a little more sense. You know, it's like, why would you throw, why would you throw this bad person in jail when you know they're just going to keep doing it? So they'll kill him, I guess was the philosophy. But yeah. Oh, everybody was killing. Batman was mowing guys down with machine guns. Aquaman was throwing Nazis into shark infested waters. It was <laughs> bloodthirsty earth. <laughs> That's true. Um and then another thing that stuck out to I me, mean, like, you know, the Human Torch, who, who doesn't really say a lot, and, and, you, and you, so again, parallels that monster thing where you, you don't even really get in his head that much, except for one of the, you know, he's confused, he doesn't know why he's burning everything, and he doesn't like being used. He's very focused on people not using him to get rich, and in the end, he actually gets so mad at his creator because the creator wants to make a buck off of him. I don't know that it's really that bad. I mean, I, couldn't they just had a conversation, but Human Torch had to leave over that? <laughs> I do like some. I like when he melts through the wall on page 11. Hello, rat. I just like that. I love the way they all talk to these guys. <laughs> I want to mention the lettering too. The lettering in this is pretty cool. I, I dig this lettering because like um, it depends on the page. Like uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I noticed in here like in the first few pages, the letter H is done really cool. Like he, they always uh, draw it out on the far left. They give it an extra like um, arm on, on help. Uh, on, on any of those H words, and sometimes to really exaggerate what people are saying, they get you know you get fire, which is all big and bold, which looks nice. It gets uh, obviously the lettering gets kind of busy or quick towards the end. I can see it gets a little sloppier towards the end, but um, I thought that was a neat aspect of it. Now, Golden Age comics for me are really hard to read. I don't typically enjoy reading Golden Age comics. Um, I don't know whether it's the pacing or the art or just the thousands of words, but I. I fell asleep reading this Human Torch story last night several times when I was trying to reread it. They don't 
grab me. Now, I will say there's a couple of exceptions. Um, the Golden Age Doctor Fate adventures are freaking amazing. They're bonkers as hell, but they're great. Those are a wonderful example of Golden Age comics. In fact, my friend uh, bought me the Doctor Fate archives of the Golden Age comics. Um, this guy who I used to be friends with, and I'm not really friends with him anymore, but anyway. That's how that goes. Yeah, well, thank you, Rob. I do appreciate the gift. Uh, and then <laughs> the, uh, the other Golden Age stories that really surprised me was actually Captain Marvel. Uh, meaning Shazam, you know, and I, I, I'm not a big fan of Captain Marvel to start with, other than like the Jerry Ordware era. And Kyle Benning, who uh, we know through our show, I, I've hung out with Kyle a couple of times, and one time he presented me with uh, printed out scans of old Golden Age Shazam stories that tied into this road trip I was on. I was going to various cities for work, and Shazam did that too. He did like a road trip. And so, uh, it, like, I, I have one that's about Minneapolis, I have one about these other cities I visited. And let me tell you, those stories were actually really good. So, as much as I'm not a fan of Golden Age, I'm not a fan of Captain Marvel, the Captain Marvel Golden Age stuff really, I, I, I enjoyed quite a bit. So, there's other people who you might hear later this week that don't feel the same way, but uh, I, was, I was pretty impressed with them. So, um, we, we can talk about where the Human Torch goes from here. So it, it shows up in Marvel Comics number one. Human Torch was a huge hit. He appeared after this because, you know, Marvel Comics number one didn't go to Marvel Comics number two. It went to Marvel Mystery Comics because I guess they needed to add an, a, a mystery in there to help sell it to the kids but separate them from their their, their dimes. But uh, so he appears in Marvel Mystery Comics a lot, makes appearances throughout all the stable other books. He eventually receives his own ongoing series uh, called The Human Torch, which lasted till issue number 35 in March 1949. So he went around from 1939 to 1949. He was a going – popular character for 10 years and he fades out of obscurity because superheroes were sort of fading out they tried to relaunch the character in the mid-1950s it was only like four or five years later when they tried again anyway uh you know, back then though you know stan lee would have told you what uh it was julie schwartz or stan lee that said that the, the audience turns over every three years i can't remember i that sounds more like julie schwartz, i think it was julie but... schwartz okay so but that would have been two generations of readers by the time they tried to relaunch it either way uh they did in the mid-1950s didn't really have a lot of success and then once the fantastic four exploded the characters would repeat uh the, this character would reappear from time to time and by the 1980s he was appearing more and more frequently and even joining the avengers uh, at different periods and stuff like that now carl were you familiar with carl burgos before this no, other than that he created the Human Torch. No, I basically know nothing else about okay. it. Okay. Well, when I, when I read this, you're going to hear a character, another character he created. You're going to go, ah, okay. So um, he joined the comic industry about a year before this came out, basically drawing backgrounds and inking, and ended up as a freelancer for a company called Funnies, Inc. Now, they were the ones who were tapped by Timely to provide the content for Marvel Comics Number 1. They basically were content providers. They would sell their content to other people who would then repackage it. So Timely repackaged their stuff into Marvel Comics Number 1. So... Uh, with Human Torch being such a big hit, Burgos kept creating stories for the character until he left to fight in World War II in 1942. That'd be your cue to do an FDR voice. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. Um, upon re- I don't know. Well, I figured it's a celebration. I had to get you know some, some sort of uh, old school stuff in there. So upon returning to civilian life, uh, Burgos continued to create comics on a freelance basis, but he also simultaneously pursued a career in advertising and commercial art. So he stayed with a toe in the comic industry until the 1960s, but really didn't have a lot of acclaim. He did create, though, check this out, the other Captain Marvel, you might recall. Not Shazam, not Marvel, but the creepy one who could separate all his limbs. 
this shows up. Split! <laughs> so he created that one. So um, also, uh, he's... He sued Marvel Comics, actually, over the ownership of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, because he felt like because of the similarities, he should have an ownership in the character. But the, the lawsuit didn't ultimately amount to anything. And he, he ended up drawing some Human Torch stories for Marvel after that, too. He died in 1984, and he's been inducted into the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame and the Will Eisner Hall of Fame. Wow. That's yeah. cool. So, interesting fella. I, I really enjoyed researching about him, too. I mean, the whole thing that jumps out at me, the whole fact that he had the career in advertising and commercial art, I just, I, when I was growing up, I wanted to um, be Darren Stevens from Bewitched and work in an advertising agency. That's what I wanted to do when I grew up. So, I always loved reading about comic artists that went into that industry. It's just like, oh, that's fantastic. I, I get a feeling that, that that was not the reason you wanted to be Darren Stevens. <laughs> I did have the biggest crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. There is no doubt. Well, there, there you go. I mean, who did? Her or Jeannie. You had to choose between the two, but, you know. Uh, so, interestingly enough, fire and water related, there was a big fire and water crossover because it was a natural they, – they, they saw themselves the fire and water theme because they knew someday in 80 years' time there would be this immensely popular net podcast network, and they wanted to get on it early. But Timely <laughs> is responsible for the first comic book major crossover. They had a two-issue battle between the Human Torch and the Submariner that spanned mystery – I'm sorry, Marvel Mystery Comics number eight and nine, and it told the same story from the two different characters' perspectives. And given what we know about the Namor story in here, I'm really interested to read that now because you've got sort of the blank slate guy who feels like he's being taken advantage. And you've got Namor who, as I said, we'll talk about later this week, who's got a real chip on his shoulder. That would have been interesting to see the same fight from their own perspectives. That's a that's a really forward-thinking idea for that early in comics when superhero stories still – superheroes getting together was still relatively unique. Yeah. I, I don't remember seeing something like that again until – I mean I'm sure it probably happened, but until the 1980s when they did that with Daredevil and the Punisher where they had a battle and you saw the fight from each one of their own perspectives in their own comics. They did something a little like that in Adventure Comics when Aquaman and Green Arrow crossed over mm-hmm. and it was a two-part story. Uh, I mean, it wasn't differing perspectives, but it was basically like they're chasing after the same crook. Oh, okay. And it was like he gets away, and then the second story he picks up in the second story. So it was a little similar mm, to that. All right. Cool. Well, any closing thoughts on the uh, the lead story of the Human Torch? No. I mean, it, I think it says – and we'll, we'll kind of repeat a lot of this content for the episode three when we get to Namor. But it, I think it, it, it says something about how much the audience was there for superheroes because like the minute – Superman launched the genre, mm-hmm. like virtually every character became massively popular. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the, the human torch. I mean, I don't, based on this first story, I don't think there's a whole lot to the human torch. He's just this kind of destructive force. Every time he goes to a, every time he's in a room, he destroys something. Mm-hmm. And like the final panel, he's like, I'm leaving. And they're like, the ceiling's burning. And he goes through the ceiling as opposed to just leaving. Uh, but he ran for 10 years straight. Right. You know, and you're like, wow, like a 10 years of stories and multiple books out of this guy. And I said, that's because I think kids wanted superheroes. It was a genre nobody had ever seen before. And like people just couldn't get enough of it. You know, I didn't research the release dates of this, but it's, it's 1939. The cover date says October. So obviously Superman's out by this point. I got to assume Batman was out by this point, too, probably. So those would have been the two ones, you know, really selling stuff off the shelves. I would think I, maybe there's a bunch of other golden heroes I don't even golden age heroes I don't even know about that were big sellers back then but just kind of faded away into obscurity. But certainly, as you said, superheroes anything with superhero was going to be highly sought after. Yeah, I've said it was it, it was it's remarkable. It really is, especially when you think about you talked about that you've seen some of the the golden age Captain Marvel stuff like. That stuff is really slick looking compared to like this stuff. And we're going to, again, we're going to talk about this when we get to the uh, Namor thing. This stuff is almost outsider art. It's so 
rough yeah. looking that it almost has a, its own weird little charm because it's just so not what we're used to seeing in a comic book. <laughs> Marvel Comics number one, as we said, it's going to be going all week long, this crossover, folks. Here's the stories that are in here. You get the Human Torch. You get the Angel. You get the Submariner. You get the Masked Raider, the Jungle Terror, Burning Rubber, and the Adventures of Kazar the Great. So uh, we really appreciate you tuning in for this first installment, folks. Be sure to tune in tomorrow to the Fire and Water Podcast Network, where our buddies Ryan Daly and Boss are going to present another one of these exciting tales from the first issue of Marvel Comics, the one I just mentioned called The Angel. And remember, a marvelous anniversary continues all week right here on the FW Presents feed. And in the meantime, please feel free to leave comments about this installment at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go out there to the show tab. Leave your comments there. We're going to post an image gallery. We'll have a couple of those as well, so you can check that out. All right, folks, until you tune in tomorrow, Rob, let's say it, fan the flame, ride the wave, and Excelsior! Excelsior! It's those rays, those cosmic rays. And now something's happening to me, too. Now I know why I've been feeling so warm. Look at me. All I did was get excited, and my whole body's starting to catch fire. I'm like that old-time comic book hero, the Human Torch. I'm lighter than air. I can even fly!